Thanks, Miss Marie. Kindergarten to third grade are dismissed for junior church, and I encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 42, and we'll also be looking at Psalm 43 uh, in conjunction with that. We're going to continue looking at the whole concept of depression. One of the things that I'm going to point out uh, before I start is that the world absolutely does a very good job of defining and describing the symptoms of depression. And they really do. You can pick up any secular book and you can find all kinds of definitions uh, about the symptoms. Uh, Many times they do a good job of giving some practical things that help deal with that. Um, And they also have other things they do, talk to people and give medications that deal with some of the symptoms and actually some of the causes. Not all causes are equal. Uh, There are actual physical life kind of uh, things that deal with depression. There are spiritual things that deal with depression, sin in particular. We'll talk about that. Uh, And my personal opinion is, and I believe I've seen this over the years, is that we need to deal with three things. The source, the symptoms, and the solution. Many times, not always, but many times, counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists do not deal with what is the source nor what is a permanent solution. But they do deal with the symptoms and sometimes a little bit with the, uh, the source and the solution. But by and large, they have to take out, by their very nature of what they believe, is they have to take out the spiritual component. That is sin and salvation. That is a savior. That is a being. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit who are bigger than our issues, who are higher than our issues, that knows us inside and out. And they do not deal with that part. So my emphasis will be on that part of it. I found out in the early service that I will never even finish what I thought I was going to do today, so I'm not even going to try. Uh, It'll just make the series a little longer. But we are going to today start by looking at the scriptures. We'll come back to the scriptures at the end. In the meantime, we're going to look at symptoms. And you may go, and I'm going to warn you, you may go, wow, that sounds like me some days. Wow, that's me. Remember, all of us have some of these symptoms some days, and sometimes we've had them all along and we didn't know what they were. So if it helps you to help yourself, praise the Lord. If you have friends, or someone you interact with who is dealing in these uh, things like depression and the associated problems that go with it, uh, I believe you'll be able to help them. And that's the whole point, is by looking at the scriptures, looking at the truth, and being able to apply it to life. Because that's what we do in all cases. Remember, the end of all Christian counseling is someone who is stronger and more mature in their relationship with Christ. Other than that, it's simply secular advice and uh, maybe practical things, but it doesn't bring about a God-honoring solution. So let's just look real quickly. Depression is this. It's the illness that negatively affects how you feel, the way you think, and the way you act. 
Notice it affects every part of who you are. It causes feelings of sadness, a loss of interest in the activities and the other things in life that you once enjoyed that were of interest to you. And it leads to, and this is what we're going to look at this morning, it leads to almost all the rest of what we would call mental and emotional upheavals in our lives. And then, ultimately, if never dealt with, it goes to the point where we no longer can function in a normal manner. And that's sad. I'll give a few illustrations as we go through this because I've dealt with people who absolutely could not deal with life in any normal fashion. And usually it was because of some traumatic event that happened in their life and they weren't willing to forgive the person who did it to them or did it to someone else that affected them. So, with that as a background, let's look at Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. I'm going to do it very quickly. This is not a Bible study of this, but it's just a perusing of the concepts that are found there. It says in Psalm 42, starting in verse 3, My tears have been my food day and night. He's saying, just like I would eat, my tears are just like taking a meal. They're constant. It's something that I'm doing over and over and over again. And while they say to me, that's the people around them, where is your God? Because one of the main things that happens to believers when they're depressed is it looks like God said, adios, I'm out of here. I no longer care about you. And people around us who know us and know we claim to be Christians say, hold it a second, I thought you were a Christian. You shouldn't be dealing with this. Where's your God? A lot of people have said to me, and a lot of Christians are not willing to even deal with depression because they think it's going to speak very badly of them. And they think, I'm a Christian, I should never be depressed. I beg to differ. I believe that Christians are equally vulnerable to depression than with those that don't know Christ. In fact, I will make a bold statement and say that we are more prone to depression than those that don't know Christ. Why? Because of what I said. We have a higher expectation. I have a relationship with God. I shouldn't have to deal with that. That should never be a part of my life. And so we try to act like it doesn't exist. And when you do that, you don't deal with it, but you have to deal with the symptoms, and it goes on and on and on and on, and you get really depressed after a while. And I believe that one of the ways we always say this about alcoholics, it's like, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna deal with them until you admit you're an alcoholic. You're not gonna you're not gonna deal with it. And you're not gonna deal with depression until you recognize, no, I am really depressed. I need help. And others are gonna say, hey, you know, you're a Christian? What's wrong with your God? Did, did he abandon you? He says, these things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. When people are depressed, they are crying out because they know that something isn't working right inside of them. 
fact is, the psalmist says this, I used to go along with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving with the multitude keeping festival. I was the one leading the, the, the charge. A little bit like uh, some of the things that uh, Riley was talking about uh, just a little while ago. His, I should be joyful. I should be the one leading others. The psalmist said, that's what I used to do. And now it's my tears. They're my food. People are looking at me and saying, where's your God? What's your problem? That's depression. It goes on in verse 5 to say, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Your soul is what makes you up, your your personality and, and what makes you you on the inside. The word depressed is not used in the Bible, but the synonym is, right here it is. Why are you depressed, O my soul? That is a synonym for the word despair. It's, I have been pressed down, which is what depression is. I've been bowed down. I've been humbled. He says, why is my soul this way? Why am I feeling this way? And then it says, why are you disturbed within me? Because part of depression, we usually think it's just the downplay, but it goes in all directions. Why are you disturbed? Why are you causing me to groan and to murmur and, and just to speak out and going in ways that look more like anxiety because they actually are anxiety? Because once you get pressed down, you kind of go in all directions. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Notice what I said from the beginning. As I believe that a lot of depression starts with sin, unwillingness to forgive or unwillingness to confess sin. And if we don't deal with the spiritual issues, and I'll talk about them later, uh, we are going to be depressed. But here it says, I can open God. I can again praise him. Remember, he was the one that was the leading them in rejoicing. And he says, I'm going to be back there again. I want to let you know that I don't care what your issue is. I've said this before. If there is any problem that God cannot deal with, I quit. Because I'm obviously teaching you something that I don't believe. Because I believe there's nothing too hard for God. That's what I believe. That's what I teach. And so if I ever looked at a situation and said, I don't know what to do. Well, I may not know what to do, but God can't deal with it. Uh, I quit. Because obviously I'm not doing and living the way I believe God is teaching me. And the word teaches us. He says, I'm going to find this in the help of your presence. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. He cries out recognizing that his hope is in God himself. And it continues on. I will say to God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? It's okay to question God and ask God questions. It's not questioning if he's good God or he knows everything. But it's okay to ask him, Lord, why am I this way? There's nothing wrong with that. And then it goes on. Why do I go in mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? One of the things that makes it possible for Christians to be more depressed. Remember, the world does not have a spiritual battle. Only Christians do. Because the world is in Satan's kingdom. There's no battle going on. They just don't know any better. That's just the way life is. Doesn't mean they don't get depressed. But we 
have God. And there's a battle going on because Satan says, I lost that one. Now I'm just going to make his life miserable. So he quits so that he is a lousy testimony or a hypocrite or one of those kinds of things. And so there's truly a spiritual battle going on and you absolutely have an enemy. The enemy is not only Satan himself, but it's the world system around you and it's also your own sin nature. All of those things work totally against. They work together, there's no doubt about it, but they work against us. Verse 10 says, As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me. That's the people around you. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Notice he said the shattering of my bones. In case anyone doesn't believe that depression is debilitating, depression goes as far and deep into you as any possible thing ever could. It literally is, and I used the definition, gave you a definition last week of clinical depression, and it is depression that has physical outworkings, and it absolutely does, because if you're really depressed, it affects everything you do in every way. Psalm 43 continues the theme. For thou art the God of my strength. That is the form, that's where we look for the solution. Why hast thou rejected me? Because people that are depressed, literally, they get mad at the pastor, they get mad at the church, they get mad at their Christian friends and say nobody cares. Because they believe God has just bailed on them. And uh, it's kind of, you can yell at God if you want to, but those around you get the blame. And uh, pastors and churches are one of the first that gets blamed for that because you ought to be able to help us. Um, it says, why do I go in mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. Now, notice how this goes. Hope in God. Hope is expect, expectation of good based on what Christ has done for us. That's the future. Hope, we don't, have, we, we don't see the end result yet, but we know that Christ has worked on our behalf. He says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Comes back, he says, I know what I used to do. I know where the dump that I'm in right now, but I know that something's going to happen. And he says, and this is interesting, I will praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. I said it when I started, you can see depression on someone's face. You can see the way they walk and they kind of look at their shoelaces. You can see the way they act and they feel like they got no energy and they got no drive and, you know, all their their spunk is gone. That's a depressed person. You can see it in the countenance of who they are, in their face in particular, but also all the rest of their body because it affects us in every possible way. You probably didn't learn anything new here. You said, yeah, we knew that. So let's look at how the world, and there's nothing wrong with these definitions. I'm going to go over them very quickly because I'm going to run out of time very quickly. But there are what we would normally call depression, and then there are all the things that go from it. 
I've described it several ways, and I think the best one I have now is depression is the grandmother to all the daughters and all the granddaughters that go with mental and emotional upheaval in person's life. But most of them, not all of them, but most of them start with depression because you're not who you had been. You're depressed. And so when you're depressed, all these other things just come from that. First of all, this is the normal one we think about. Anxiety, distress. It's restlessness and worry about the past and the possible future things. I remind people on a regular basis, almost everything you worry about will never come true. And that is true. They've done statistics on that. It's like 90% of the stuff that you worry about will never happen anyway. And what happened to you in the past, you can't change that. And you don't actually know what's going to happen in the future. So, the Bible's clear. Give us this day our daily bread. Today has enough trouble of its own, enough evil of its own. Live today. That does not mean you don't deal with the past and don't plan for the future. But you do not let them control you. If you do, you're in the what-ifs of life. And when you're in the what-ifs, your mind will go crazy. You can drive yourself crazy. You can come to a screeching halt, or you can be a raging maniac. One of the two, or a whole lot of things in between. Because you're trying to deal with things that are not possible for you to deal with. For example, one of the outcomes of this kind of thing is OCD. You know what it is. Obsessive compulsive disorder. And I've seen this over and over again as I counseled people. And it is, and that's my definition, not a secular definition at the very top, a vain attempt to control life. My life is out of order, and now I'm going to do something to try to get order. The end result of obsessions and uh, uh, compulsions is that you have more stress than when you started. You think, if I do this thing over and over again, I'll get control of it. But now you go, man, I am really going crazy now. Because it doesn't help. In fact, is it now proved that my life is out of control and more out of control than when I started? But... Um, It is just the uncontrollable reoccurring thoughts and behaviors that feel we feel the urge to do over and over again. I've dealt with people who have gotten out of bed after they went to bed at 9, 10, 12 o'clock at night. They have gotten out of bed 10, 12 times and went down to make sure they closed and locked the front door of their house. Others, the, the typical one is they wash their hands over and over again. Not because they're dirty, because they trying to get control of their life. Obsessions uh, are the things that are in your mind. And uh, when you go over and over these things, um, it's the typical, a anthill becomes a mountain because you just keep going over and over and over and over. Uh, the other day, uh, my shoes were rubbing my foot and every time I took a step, it rubbed it a little more. Well, it's that same kind of thing, except it's in your mind. And so it gets more and more irritating. Compulsions are normal behaviors, learned behaviors that you've done before, like locking the door or washing your hands. Nothing wrong with those things. But they become a part of the problem. And as that stress from, okay, now I've just lost a half an hour or an hour of sleep because I went down and opened the door or locked the door or no. 
not locked the door, just went down to make sure it's locked. Uh, now I've lost sleep, and that just adds and adds and adds, and it just builds up. So they're simply a vain attempt at getting control. Remember? God, where are you? Then there is panic attack. Uh, if you go look this up, and I always encourage people to look anything I say up, uh, feel free to look anything up. Uh, but panic attack and anxiety attack are actually two different things, but it all depends who you read and who you look at. Uh, you can't really tell which one's different. I tend to look at them the same. I'm going to present what is the normal uh, definition this morning, and you'll know. Panic attack is sudden, severe, and short. That is, you leave here today, you go out on Rosedale Avenue, and all of a sudden you look up and there's somebody driving head-on toward your car in your lane. You have a panic attack. It is sudden, it is severe, and it's short. Now, panic attack leads to road rage, just in case anybody wants to know. Please don't do that, okay? Because what happens is you had something trigger it, and it got your heart beating, your mind racing, you might be shaking, you might be sweating, you might have chest pain and all that, and you're angry. Please don't react at that point. That's where road rage comes from. But within 10 minutes, you go back and you're going, I'm, I'm afraid I'm not going to drive again. People that have accidents do that. They're like, I'm never going to drive again. But within a short time, they're like, okay, wasn't my fault. It's not going to happen again. It hasn't happened for 20 years. It probably won't happen for another 20. I'm going to keep driving my car. But that's a panic attack. And it can come from a lot of things. Why is panic attack dangerous and lead to road rage or get fights or whatever it happens to be? Because when a panic attack happens, the fight or flight reaction within us, and it's built there to protect us, it goes into motion. And if you don't control it, you uh, get in big trouble. There's an anxiety attack, which tends to be different. It is something that's gradual. It has a gripping kind of tension inside of you, and it's ongoing. It's not short. Uh, it can be severe, but it's not short. Uh, it stems from a buildup of worry. Those what-ifs continue, continue, until you go, I can't handle this anymore. And then you get a tightness of chest. I've actually had this one, uh, not an attack, but that and the doc said okay do a heart thing and I did that he goes there's nothing wrong with you he said it's stress I'm going you're right it's stress and it was and it went away and that's okay I'll, I'll, I'll let it away you kind of probably know that it can even be from good things because you're getting ready for, ready for vacation and nothing's working right. Or you're getting ready for vacation and your son is to go to the neighbor and you can't find him for a half an hour because he went the wrong way. Uh, not mentioning who that might have been. But anyway, it can, it can cause anxiety attack. Because it's like, hold it, we're going on vacation. Or you lose a girl at the beach <clears throat> because dad wasn't watching. Ask my wife about that. She will be glad to tell you the story of how her husband is negligent. And we spent an hour and a half looking for Amy on the beach. That'll give you anxiety attack. But it, it, you, your chest gets tight, your heart, I mean, you just ache. And it, you, anyway, it just goes in the wrong direction. But one thing that if those continue, you get a phobia. A phobia is not fear. 
Fear is God's provision to keep you from getting in trouble. For example, fear will keep you from going into a black, I believe it was a leopard's cage, and taking a selfie of yourself. Fear should do that. That's a rational fear, not irrational. It's irrational if you're on the outside of the cage taking a picture and you're scared of the thing that has to go through steel bars and glass. That would be irrational. Point is, fear is, is a good thing because it keeps you from doing dumb things. It keeps you from getting bit by a snake or touching a hot stove or whatever it is or telling a lie, whatever. I'm not going to do that because it's going to cause problems. But irrational fear is something that you know really can't hurt you or won't hurt you badly, but yet you go away from it. I've dealt with people that have had all of these at the same time. And uh, they literally couldn't come to church because they can't go over bridges. I actually helped them to help get through this whole thing, counseled them as you can get to church without going over any bridges. A phobia of bridges. doesn't matter what it is. But the stresses and the anxieties uh, from being depressed, and that person was depressed for a very specific reason. I know what it was. Um, but uh, they had never dealt with it. They literally needed to forgive someone had wronged them very badly. Actually had wronged someone else. Uh, very badly, and they didn't forgive the person, and they allowed that to build up, and eventually um, it took control of their life, and it really did. So phobias can be anything. There are people that are depressed, and they don't come to church because they don't want to be around other people. That's social. Uh, the, the list of phobias, look it up sometime online. There's a phobia about everything in the life. I bet there's a phobia about pastors. I've never heard it, but but you know what? It is irrational. We do not bite people or any of those things. But uh, there's a fear of everything. Why? Because it's irrational. Continuing on, there are those things that are mixed. This is the person who has depression and mania at the same time. Uh, And you've seen small versions of this, I'm sure. Something very negative happens to a person and they get motor mouth. Because it depresses them, they're scared and everything all at the same time, and, and they're really depressed, but they can't stop talking. And you're just like, I wish they just stopped talking. That's a mild version of that, but it can get worse. And then there are those, and this one here, you might be married to this person, so be aware, uh, but this person wakes up in the morning with this one. Um, and until they get their head straight and all that kind of stuff, it's just, they wake up and they have a bad view of life, a depressed view of life to start with, and they can be really cranky in the morning and uh, to the point where it actually can start affecting their whole life all day long. The next one you kind of know, and and people have used this one and, and abused this one, but bipolar is again, it's someone who hasn't dealt with an issue. And because of that, it brings them down and then after a while, they, they go, okay, I'm, I'm, and they don't say, I'm tired of this. But all of a sudden, they go up, and now they're the queen or the king of the world. I have dealt with that one. I've, I've dealt with people where they were so depressed that they didn't take care of themselves. Don't try to figure out who these people are. Uh, the person I'm talking about has now passed away a number of years ago. But this person 
were so depressed they didn't even take care of themselves. In fact, they were diabetic, and they didn't take their insulin, didn't eat right and all that, and they would literally go into diabetic coma on one end, and I forget what you call it when your sugar spikes totally opposite. It just messes you up either way. They just didn't take care of themselves. On the other hand, I get a phone call that uh, this person is on their back porch shooting imaginary terrorists and and staring the living daylights out of the neighbors or in a slow speed uh, chase with the police or you name it just because I can do whatever I want in fact that particular person uh, Ben Buckner was there as uh, he was doing his internship was a witness to that one is for an hour or half to an hour we listen to this person chanting like an Indian chant you know I've got my life under control it's just totally bizarre but that's what happens, and they go from low to high and high to low. One quick thing, uh, as I was dealing with that person, uh, a psychiatrist uh, told me some, one of the best things that I had ever seen, and uh, they do some good things. I've already said that before, but sometimes I think they're almost as bad as the people they're dealing with. But this guy told me, and this lady I was talking about, uh, she would be on the meds to keep her from going off kilter, and then she would not like it because the meds many times cut off the highs of life. We all like the highs of life. Preaching is a high of life. I know it might not be for you. You go, that just scared the living daylights out of me. But what you do would probably scare me. But it's, it's something I enjoy and something I like doing. But the meds cut the tops off and sometimes cut the bottoms off. And so most people take drugs because it makes them feel good. But if you're bipolar and you take the drugs and it cuts off the highs and it cuts off the lows, you're going through life like this instead of like this, like it's normal. And he said, people that are bipolar, they quit taking their medicine because they want to feel that high. It's just the opposite of somebody who takes a drug to get high. They, they do exactly the opposite. Then there are those that are the temporary ones that I call it atypical here, is this is the person, and you have friends like this. They're gloomy, they're depressed, and the friends get around and say, man, there's something really big and wrong with you. We're going to take you out, we're going to go out to lunch, we're going to go do something, we're going to go to a game or whatever, and we're going to make you feel better. It will for a short while, because this kind of person is depressed, but one little thing will cheer them up. But as soon as it's over, they're back down again. And you, you, you think you're going to do a good thing. By the way, continue to do those kinds of things. It's not wrong. I'm just saying uh, it's not going to cure anything. And then there are those that have the uncontrolled, whether they kind of stopped in their tracks or they cannot stop moving. I've had people in my office who were depressed and anxious and acting like this, literally shaking the floor and my desk because their foot was bouncing so much because of the anxieties and their, their depressed state because of what they were in. One of the things that happens, and uh, this is not a sermon on Tourette's syndrome, but Tourette's syndrome is brought on and aggravated greatly, and I'm almost sure a whole lot more than I think, by stressful situations, and that is taking that uncontrolled movements to even a higher level. That's a whole different subject, but I just want to understand that these things all fan out from depression. The next one here is, is just very generic because of mixed audience, but uh, 
Females are different than males, in case anybody didn't know that. We look different, and we are different in a lot of ways. That's all I'm going to say. We don't get pregnant, and we don't have babies, and all that kind of stuff, and a whole lot of other things. And women have different chemicals and different hormones. Guys, I want you to listen to this, and listen carefully. Not all depression and not all of these things are spiritual issues. I've heard men... Basically telling their wives, well, if you prayed more and you read the Bible more and you were more spiritual, you wouldn't have these things. That is baloney. It is not true. It is purely hormonal and chemical. Get used to it. Deal with it. But it's real. And it is. It's not simply in your head. And then this next one, I get a tinge of this one. Ah, I see some heads nodding. Seasonal pattern. When we have less out, I would never obviously operate very well in the Arctic. For about six months, I, or what is it, nine months, I would do really well, and then there'd be three months where... And did you notice that in those places where they have a very limited light, alcohol and drunkenness is huge? Doesn't surprise me, because it conducive to that. And it's not about you're spiritual or not spiritual. It's just that less light coming in and uh, it, it just knocks you down. In fact, is after the first service, a lady walked up to me and said, yeah, I had that. And I went to the doctor and they said, yeah, you, don't, you, you have a lack of vitamin D. Gave her vitamin D pills. It cured it because what happens when you're not in the sun and you don't get a lot of sunlight, your body makes vitamin D and hers wasn't. So not all of these are spiritual, understand that, but many of them can be. So you have to be careful. Don't assign any just, you know, blank to whatever. This next one, I'm, I could spend a couple of sermons on oppositional defiant disorder. That means your kid is bad news um, and just out of control. And you go, hold it a second, because... You know, you say that's depression. The answer is they are depressed and anxious because they don't know where the barriers are. And it causes that depression because they don't know what's expected. And uh, it's amazing when you look it up, you'll find out that it is behavioral therapy that, that deals with that. Because you need to have, all of us need to have parameters in our life and our children need that too. And they just put a tag on it. I told you they can deal with the symptoms. Drug-induced disorders, it is one of the main reasons I'm against any mind-altering substance being put into our society because drugs of what, and by the way, this is legal drugs as well as illegal drugs can have these effects, but they will mess with your mind and your emotions and some of them absolutely cause depression. There is another one. This is the underlying there are things from your past, maybe the way you grew up, maybe the church you went to, maybe your friends, and everything is negative. And most people can handle a lot of negative, depressive kind of things and, and function well. But if you have an underlying layer of depression that comes from whatever source, doesn't matter what the source is, and then you have one little thing, it takes you down very quickly. It makes you vulnerable to those things. And so you need to look at those things. In counseling, I, I don't like to be dealing with a lot of past stuff, but sometimes you absolutely have to, to find out where, what level did that person start at. 
And then there's the, the one that I concentrate on, and I'm going to end with this one, is spiritual warfare. You're not going to find it in any psychology textbook or psychiatric uh, manual, but spiritual warfare. Because guess what? That's where I started is, do Christians have this? The answer is, yeah. Why? There's a war going on. And that war is very real. First of all, we can believe and we can come to the idea. Remember the psalmist? He, he Is God bigger than my issue? If you come to the conclusion that God can't handle it, you're in trouble. You're going to get depressed because where do I turn to? Believing that God has abandoned you or doesn't care or is punishing you. It is not unusual for me uh, when somebody is depressed and comes into my office or like, I think God's punishing me. That's where they start. That might be. God may be punishing you. I don't know that yet. But I don't start there because it's not always the issue. It might be something you did or didn't do that is causing the issue. And then it's questioning your security of salvation. Uh, Most of these have to do with Christians, but I'm going to use an illustration for this one. That one happens a lot. People get depressed because I'm not sure if I'm saved. Years ago, um, one of my daughters worked with a young man who was so depressed that he actually tried to kill himself, took a rifle, stuck it to his head, but he physically could not pull the trigger. Not that he couldn't reach it, he just physically couldn't pull the trigger. I believe it's a God thing. I believe the angels were there protecting him because he was not ready to die. And um, my, my daughter found out about it and said, you need to talk to my dad. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating. He was the most depressed person I had ever dealt with at that time. I've dealt with worse since. He came into my office. First of all, he was late because he drove past my office. I don't know how many times before he was even willing to come in. Then he came into my office, wouldn't look me in the eye, wouldn't look at me, didn't say hardly anything. He looked at his shoelaces the whole time in front of my desk. So I went over and I asked him questions. He finally did respond, but he wouldn't look at me when he did. And I said, okay, we we need to deal with something. And after he left, I'm like, Lord, what in the world do I do here? And then God brought it to my mind is this man had, uh, this young man had gone to a church school. Let's just call it that because I don't believe it was very Christian, but it was a Christian school. And he had been learning about all kinds of isms, cults, religions, including Christianity to some sort. And he let all these things go into his mind. And he never processed them. He never made a choice. And so the second session, I said, you need to make a choice. You need to process all this information. Is this real? Or is that a substitute? Is, is, or, and then we went over the gospel. Is this real? He left, and he was a little better when he left, because he now knew what he had to do. He had to make a decision. It was, I didn't meet with him for quite a while. By the way, I ultimately had the privilege of baptizing this young man. And he was going on an airplane flight. And as he was at the airport or going to the airport, he realized, if this plane crashes, I'm not going to heaven. <laughs> I, I, I definitely know that I'm not going to heaven. And at the airport or going to the airport, he trusted Christ based on that he processed that The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is the only thing that made any sense when it was done. Praise the Lord. He was, as I said, the most depressed person I had ever met at that point. But he had gotten to the point. That spiritual battle was going on, that warfare in that case. Condemnation. 
God does convict, and i got to close real quick here. God brings conviction, but conviction is always telling you you're wrong and giving you a solution. It's been paid for. Christ is, can handle it, uh, and Christ has paid for it. Condemnation, on the other hand, comes from Satan and demons, the occult. Whatever it is, and it says, you're scum, you can't do a thing about it, and nobody's going to help you. That's condemnation. You deserve all the punishment you get. That's condemnation. That is horrible. Some of you know what that looks like. Not willing to trust the Bible as truth uh, for your good. There are people that say, well, yeah, my life's a mess, but I don't want to hear what you have to say from the Bible. I can't do a whole lot at that point because I know the Bible was written from God to us for our good. And until we take it at its word and take it for what it is, God's word, and put it into practice in our life, that young man being an example of that, or any Christian, it it doesn't help us. And then that last one, and I already talked about this one, not confessing sin or forgiving others. Most people that are depressed, you can go back to an incident. Whether you did it or somebody else did it to you, whether you need to confess it or you need to forgive someone else. I, I, I had to do the confession and forgiveness before I even talk about this because that's huge, really huge. One last illustration. The book of Job, chapter 3, you remember Job was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning from evil. And yet he lost everything. His friends, in quotes, came and said, Job, you had to do something bad. That's why all this bad stuff happened. And in chapter 3, Job goes, and if you ask me if he's depressed, I'm going to tell you he's a classic example. He said, I wish the night I was born, they would have not said there's a son born. I wish it would have all been dark. I wish I would have been born prematurely. I would have been a miscarriage, and I would have never seen the light of day, and I wouldn't have to live life. Now, that's not suicide. That's just saying life's too hard. Job was there. Please do not be Job's counselors because they kept insisting on things. They didn't listen to Job, and they didn't listen to what they would have known from the Bible. They didn't listen to that. They already had their minds made up. Please don't do that to your friends. Do not take them when they're down and just say, okay, there's a problem. Because it may not be something that's spiritual. It may not be something you have to confess. But it is something that needs to be dealt with, but dealt with in the proper way. That is not an easy place to be. But I encourage you, we have the message of the truth. Please use it. Please use it. Because the world is, by and large, gloomy, despairing place. People need to hear truth. They need that freedom that comes from what Christ has done, what the Bible says. Let's all stand together as a close in prayer. Father, thank you so much that you do not leave us ignorant, but you do give us truth. And we can depend on that truth because it always carries out its intended result. Thank you that the truth not only came in the word, words on a page, But thank you that the truth came in a person of Jesus Christ who went a step further than the word could go and gave his life to pay for all of our needs, sin, depression, whatever it is, it's all been paid for. Thank you that we can give that message of hope, the gospel, the good news of salvation to those around us. And I pray that we would never hold back, but that we would be those that bring 
a solution to those that are in bad shape, and especially those that are depressed. Thank you, Lord, for that privilege. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Go with God.